Thank you, worship team. You may now be seated. As you're being seated, please greet the people next to you and pass the pew pads to let us know you are here. Well, it is a pleasure, again, to be with you this beautiful morning, and it's beautiful because we are together. I'm going to pray, and then we are going to continue our series in Born, The King Has Come. And today is going to be a little bit of a different type of Christmas message. We're going to look at the surrender of Advent, the surrender of Advent. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love. I thank you for this group of wonderful brothers and sisters. And as we gather together, I just pray that your spirit will be with us, that as we open up the word of God, that we will be transformed, not just informed. Father, we thank you that your word is living, active, and breathing. And we thank you that through the Holy Spirit, we can be empowered and hear your voice in our lives. The Holy Spirit who wrote the word of God is making it make sense to us And that is a beautiful promise that you, Jesus, have made. I pray that we will be challenged and convinced and convicted this morning. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. There is a a story that Frank Vivier loves to tell. And it is a powerful story that I'd never heard before until Frank told me. If you've spent any amount of time with Frank, you might have heard this story. It is the story of the four chaplains. And the Dorchester was a troop transport boat that in 1943 was sunk in the Labrador Sea. And there was uh, not enough life vests for each and every person. And as these chaplains and their names, they were lieutenants, George Fox, Alexander Good, John Washington, and Clark Poling, and you can see their images on the screen. As they were discovering that many people did not have life vests, they took their own life vests off and gave them to these troops. They helped these troops get onto the lifeboats and helped them get out into safety. And one was a Jewish rabbi, one was a Catholic priest, and the other two were Protestant pastors. And it was said that many of those who were on the lifeboats, they saw as these men were going down with the ship, they saw them going down and they heard them singing hymns to the Lord. The story is powerful. And you can go on YouTube and and read or see the entirety of the story. But you see this, this deep surrender that these men gave their lives for others that they sacrificed and surrendered themselves to death so that others could live. And this is an inspirational story of surrender. And as we look at Advent, surprisingly, there is an aspect of surrender that we will look at. In my 18 plus years of full-time ministry, I've actually never preached on Joseph, the father of Jesus. I was surprised as I came to the story and thought, man, I... I haven't read this and really studied the story and life of Joseph. 
So today we're going to be looking at his story. And many of us don't like the idea of surrender. We like our own way. We like our own will. We like our own agendas. We like to make all of our own plans. But we will see that Advent is both delightful to the human heart and dangerous to the human will. Delightful to the human heart and dangerous to the human will. And we see that in the story of Joseph. The words, He came, are not just for our salvation, but they're also words for our surrender. We cannot be saved without surrender. I believe Joseph's response to the angel's call that the Lord asked of Joseph will answer this question. What does Advent call us to surrender? What does Advent call us to surrender? Because Joseph's story is not just a story to be told. It's a story to be lived. And that's the entirety of Scripture. And one of the things that I fully believe in is that as we read the Word of God, no matter where we find ourselves in Scripture, all of it can be applied to our very lives. And Joseph's story is no different. And so we will look at Joseph's interaction in a dream with an angel. We're going to read Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. So if you have your Bibles, please open up there. It'll also be on the screen if you're home. You can read it on your screen or open up your scripture, your Bible, your app, whatever you read the Bible on. Matthew chapter 1, 18 through 25 says this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be a child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Wow, this is powerful stuff. As we look at this story of Joseph, I want to challenge you to look at it from a different point of view, the point of surrender. What did Joseph give up that you and I are also called to give up? And as we look at this idea of surrender in Advent, I believe that the first thing that Advent calls us to surrender is our reputation. Our reputation. Advent calls us to relinquish our reputation. Our reputation. Joseph was a good and just man. And in the Greek, the word for just here is diakaios, which also means righteous. In Joseph's life, as he interacted with the community, as he spent time with the people that were in his town, 
They saw and knew that Joseph was a righteous man. They saw him as righteous. They put him on that level and said, wow, he is a good man. And because of his righteousness, he did not want to put Mary to shame. He did not want to shame her. And in fact, she could have been stoned for this sin because it was out of wedlock. And he knew that it was not his baby. And I'm sure at this point, Mary had already told him, hey, this was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And there was doubt. I mean, that's a, that's a really hard pill to swallow, to understand. But in a dream, an angel comes to him. And in marriage, there are, in the Jewish tradition, there are three aspects of marriage. The first was the engagement. Now, this would happen from parent to parent, from father to father. They would have done this engagement when Mary was young and Joseph would have been young as well. They said that you are going to be her her husband in the future. And then when Mary came of age, there would be the betrothal, which said that you are going to be his wife. And by law, they were now married. Now, they had not yet consummated their marriage, so it was not yet a full marriage in the Jewish history. But the betrothal meant that Joseph now had one year to set up the household. He had one year to put his profession out there. He had one year to make sure that when Mary and he were married, when they were wed and they consummated their marriage, he would have a house that would take care of her and the children that they would have in the future. And so to find that she had broken this covenant, It was a big deal. That's why he would have to get legal papers of divorce. He was a just and righteous man. And this was the struggle that he had. What do I do with this? It says he was considering these things. And as he was considering them, an angel came to him. The angel said, hey, you know, don't divorce her. Do not do that. And here's the the crazy thing about this story, as Joseph obeyed this, he surrendered his reputation because if he married Mary, the assumption would be that this is, in fact, his child and that they, in fact, had a relationship to get pregnant before they had their ceremony of, we- of their wedding. And so his reputation of being a righteous man the opinions of others in his community would totally be failed because he would now be a fallen and law-breaking man. So this was not a simple decision, but he lays his reputation on the line because he was following God and cared about the Lord's opinion more than he cared about the opinion of men. In Galatians 1.10, it says this. This is Paul talking to the Galatians. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Here, Paul is stating if we are to be servants of Christ, we cannot live for the opinions of man. If we are to truly walk In this aspect of Christian living, we must surrender, be willing to surrender our reputation. Because those around us, when we live for Christ, their opinions of us might be like, wow, they're really weird. 
Even in the Christian church, when we sacrifice and surrender, where we go after what God is calling us to, even our brothers and sisters might be like, that was a little weird choice. Why would you do that? But when Christ calls us, the opinions of man do not matter because we are to live our lives for an audience of one. I challenge you to live your life for an audience of one. Man's opinion does not matter. If everyone around you is frustrated and angry with your decisions, if you are certain that God is calling you to that and it lines up with Scripture, what they think doesn't matter. Because the only person that matters is the Lord Himself. Live for an audience of one. Do not try to please others. Because you know what? You will never please everyone. Never. And that can be frustrating, that can be sad, that can be annoying, but it's true. We can never please everyone. The second area of surrender that we see in Advent is the surrender of our rights. Advent calls us to willingly lay down our rights. By all means, Joseph here had the ability to divorce his betrothed because it was a right and it was even a law that this would be something he should do. Many would say that it wasn't just his right, it was what he was supposed to do. But he refused to live into that right. He did not claim that. He did not say, yes, I have the right to do this. He surrendered his reputation and he surrendered his rights. Christ's coming in flesh calls us to surrender our human rights. The freedoms that we think we have, Christ calls us to be willing to lay them down. His coming changes our ability to live for ourselves. His coming challenges us to live for Him. In the Scriptures, when we come to Christ, it says that we are now the doulos, the, the servants or the slaves of Christ. We go from being a slave to sin to a slave to Christ. And that might sound like, oh man, that's really depressing. I'm a slave no matter what. But Jesus says that my yoke is light. My yoke is light. Trade that yoke of slavery to sin to my yoke that is light. Because I will be with you. I will be among you. We are not just slaves. We're children of God. But when we are admitting that we are servants, the doulos of Jesus, we're saying my rights are being laid down. I will not live for myself. I will not fight for my rights. Because we also know that God is the one who fights for us. We need to stop trying to fight for ourselves. Are we willing to lay down our rights for our brother or for the Lord? 1 Corinthians 9.18 and that whole passage of 1 Corinthians 9 challenges us to lay down the rights that we are called to in regular life. It says, will you be willing to lay those down for your brother? Will you be willing to lay those down for the Lord? Advent calls us to willingly lay down our rights. Now that doesn't mean that he's always going to take them, but it's, it's the attitude of the heart. Will we be willing to surrender? The third area of surrender is the area of future. 
because Advent calls us to forego our future. Ugh, this isn't a fun Christmas message. Usually it's like, Jesus is born, he came, yeah, woo, we're free. No, that's true, but the, the story of Advent is also a difficult, hard thing to, A, the mystery of the incarnation is difficult to rectify in our minds, but there's also this truth that when Jesus came, he changed everything. And that includes our future. Look at Joseph's story for a second. He probably had a future in mind. A child, before he's even married, was not on his list of his future. He probably had this idea of, I'm going to be a carpenter, I'm going to make my house, I'm going to do this and that, and it's going to be a great future. I'm going to earn money before we have children. I'm going to make sure that I've built a cradle. I'm going to make sure that he has a room or she has a room. And Mary and I are just going to have the greatest wedding ever. It's going to be amazing. She's so beautiful. I can't wait to marry her. Woo! His future got changed. He asked the question, man, we live in a little town. Am I going to have to move this house that I just built? Do I have to sell it and build another one? He has no idea because his reputation is tainted. He's, he laid down his rights. He basically admitted that it was his child. And God called him to say, this is my son. But he's called Jesus. He's called the Savior of the world. He's called Emmanuel, God with us. I mean, talk about ruining a reputation. He's like, not only am I going to marry Mary, but my child's going to save the world. A baby born out of wedlock? Ha, yeah, right. That's going to be a mess of a child. He's going to have a horrible reputation. No one's going to listen to him. Well, not only is he going to be the savior of the world, he's going to be God with us. What? I mean, could you imagine naming your child God with us? I mean, you look at one second for your baby and you're like, that ain't God. <laughs> right? But here he names Jesus. Jesus. And he names him Emmanuel. And he, he has this statement that, yes, this is a baby of the Holy Spirit. Okay, yeah, right, Joseph. I mean, who would believe that? His future now is in question. Jesus was born by the Holy Spirit, and his birth was fulfilling Scripture. These statements wouldn't have been easy for Joseph to say, yeah, I believe, let's go. Yeah, my future, I have no idea what's going to happen, but let's do it. That would not be an easy choice for him. But when we come to Christ, he dictates our future. He's the one who determines where we go. He's the one who says, here's where I'm driving your car. Get in and buckle up. And that's not one of those things that we like to surrender. We have our future all mapped out in our minds. We have this, this idea of what our future is going to look like. But in Advent, when we come to Christ and surrender, we need to ask Him to give us a view of our future. We need to ask him, where am I to go? What am I to do? I lay my future down at your feet. 
And when we ask the Holy Spirit to, to share with us what our future will look like when we lay it into his hands, he gives us a sanctified imagination. I love that phrase, sanctified imagination, where we now have a holy imagination of our future, where the Holy Spirit gives that to us. And so I challenge you to allow the Spirit to give you a sanctified imagination for your future. Because you could never determine what your future will look like in the hands of God. Because God is going to be the determiner of what it looks like. You know, when Joseph believed this and owned it and walked in the future, he had no idea what it was going to look like. But God laid the map for him. He will be the Savior of the world. He will be Emmanuel. This is great stuff. Difficult to grasp, but he had a sanctified imagination now of what he was to do. God wants to share that with you. He wants to give you a holy view of your future. The fourth area of surrender is the surrender of our plans. Not only do we have a future that's envisioned, but we have a plan on how to make it happen. We have to lay down our plan. Imagine you know, when, when we look at the story of Joseph, he looked at his future and envisioned it, and he had already put a plan together. I bet you by this time he did have a house. He had set it aside. He had built it. He was building it. He had this beautiful plan of their wedding and how it was going to go. He had the, the dowry, and they were putting all of these plans in motion for this wonderful, amazing time to celebrate their marriage. The whole town would have been invited. The whole town would have been part of this planning process. And now, all of his plans go out the window. Go out the window. I'm sure he did not plan for a child the moment he got married. He did not plan to have a kid in his house yet. He did not have that put in writing or thought in his mind. I mean, God, when he shares with us our future, it will never be anything that we would ever be able to imagine on our own. Joseph would have never, ever, in a million years, imagined that this would be the future or the plan of his life. Now, some of you are planners. Some of you have planners already for 2024 because you've written it all down. You said, here's 2023, every day I got a plan. Here's 2024, I got a plan. You guys, some of you probably have a 20-year bucket list already planned. I'm going to do this in five years. I'm going to do this in 10 years. I'm going to do this in 25 years. And by the time I'm retired, this is the kind of house I'm going to have. Here's what it is. And you're 12. I don't think any 12-year-old would plan that. You're 27. You're 30, whatever it is. You've had a plan. And God says, you know what? I love you so much that I'm going to take all your plans and throw them away. Are you willing to lay down your plan? Because Advent calls us to that. The words he came change everything. Advent is great. Advent is beautiful. Salvation is wonderful. But sometimes we only get the hippie, hoppy message. The rainbows and unicorns of salvation. You won't go to hell. Woo! But when we look at what we're called to after we come to Jesus as our Savior, we see very quickly that Jesus needs to also be our Lord. 
the King of kings, the one who controls all things, where we are willing to lay it down at his feet, our future, our plans. And some of you think, if I get rid of my planner, that's so irresponsible. How could, how could anyone not have a planner? How many of you feel that way about it? Yeah, uh-huh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's only a few of you, which is good, because you can already have a sanctified imagination of your plans, right? But the reality is, is when Jesus directs our future, we have to surrender our plans. We have to say, Lord, here are my plans. I like them. I made them beautiful. My life is mapped out. But whatever your plans are, those are better. Your plans are better than mine. Because I'm only a human. I only have human plans. My planners are only paper or digital. Yours are heavenly. We need to lay it down. I love what Simpson says in the book Land of Promise. He said, all you can possibly bring to God is an empty hand and a spirit of nothingness. A spirit of nothingness. What that means is you open your hands and you say, God, I have nothing but your will. I have nothing but your plans. I can't bring anything of goodness. My hands are empty. That is hard. That is difficult. But that's what we have to bring. And the fifth area of surrender is the area of desires. Advent calls us to drop our desires. If you look at the last verse, in verse 25, it says, But knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. When it says knew her not, that means that their marriage was not consummated at the time of their wedding. That he laid down his physical desire, but also his matrimonial desire. Because the town probably wouldn't be at that wedding. Their parents might not even be at that wedding. But if you understand Jewish marriage, it wouldn't have been an actual God-present marriage in normal circumstances until the marriage is consummated. This was such a part of Jewish belief and Jewish practice that at a Jewish wedding, and when the rabbi would marry the husband and wife, there would be this thing called the chuppah. Now, that's really hard to say, but it's a, it's a Hebrew word. Chuppah. You got to when you say it. All right? The chuppah would be there, which is a representation of the presence of God. That in the presence of these witnesses and in the presence of this Lord, this marriage is good. This marriage is right. And then something weird happens that we would think is totally unacceptable in our world. But it was beautiful. They would carry the chuppah 
covering over the husband and wife. And they would take the chuppah to their house and they would put the chuppah, the presence of God, over their bed. And they would say, all right now, go consummate your marriage. We're going to wait by the door. And as soon as you're done, we're going to clap and yell and whoop and holler because your marriage is now official in the presence of God and in the presence of these witnesses. That would be weird. I mean, just weird. You come out and everyone's cheering because they know what happened. Weird. And then the wedding ceremony could happen. And it could last for a week or it could last for three weeks depending on how wealthy your family was. It would be a feast every day. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. There would be partying and music. They gave up all of that. The desire for the perfect wedding. The desire to have a consummation of their marriage. He waited. That's not an easy thing. It was another one of his rights that he had as a husband, and she had as a wife that they laid down. That would not be easy. Imagine if God was like, I want you to have the worst wedding possible. All you brides would be like, yes. No, you wouldn't. You'd be like, seriously, God? Like, why? But that's what they were called to. They laid down their desires. Our wants often usurp the will of God, don't they? What we want for ourselves, not just our plans, not just our future, but our desires, often usurp what God wants for us. Listen, our wants are not always sanctified. Our desires are usually pretty fleshly when it comes to money and power and all the desires that we might have, whatever they may be, if they're not laid down to the Lord and say, Holy Spirit, sanctify my desires, make my desires your desires, then they're not holy desires, they're fleshly. And we need to lay those down. Simpson in the Land of Promise says this, all that God wants is a, is a complete surrender of our will. Because Advent calls us to drop our desires. He says all that God wants is a complete surrender of our will. That's all he wants. <laughs> I mean, he says it pretty matter of fact. Oh, that's all. Just everything. Give it up. The word complete is difficult. It's not a word we like when it comes to the idea of surrender. Because there are things that we're like, oh yeah, I'll surrender that. I'll surrender that. My, uh, my step-grandfather, who was uh, an actually a great, devout Catholic who believed in Jesus, for Lent, he would always give up watermelon because watermelon was not in season during Lent. Yeah. That's us, my friends. We're like, hey, yeah, I'll surrender watermelon, Jesus. Woo! Here you go. I hate watermelon. Don't ever give me a watermelon. I won't eat it. My kids will, though. But the reality is, is that that's how we treat the Lord sometimes. The things we don't mind surrendering will surrender. But all that God wants is a complete surrender of our will. And that's why Advent is not just delightful for the heart. It's dangerous for the will. It's dangerous for the will. I'm probably certain that many of you have not thought that about Advent. But it's dangerous for our human will. 
I want to leave you with some good words of my favorite author who died long ago, A.W. Tozer. He said, The coming of Jesus Christ into this world represents a truth more profound than all of philosophy, for all of the great thinkers of the world together could never produce anything that could even remotely approach the wonder and the profundity disclosed in the message of these words. He came. He came. It is both delightful to the human heart and dangerous to the human will. My challenge to you is that you and I will resolve today to completely surrender our will to Him. It sounds scary, but trust me, when we are in the hands of a loving God, that is where we should be. The will of God is where we should live. Because our will, our future, our plans, when they're directed by our flesh, are terrible. Terrible plans. But His are greater. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the story of Joseph. We thank you for how he surrendered to your will. Even naming his son Jesus, the Savior of the world, how, how audacious for a child that would have been born out of wedlock as that would be looking like to the rest of the community. He also called him Emmanuel as you told him to. He surrendered everything. Joseph surrendered his reputation. He surrendered his rights. He surrendered his future. He surrendered his plans. And he surrendered his desires. Joseph is our example. May we follow it in the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.